1997, Ultima Online became one of the first MMORPGs, massive multiplayer online role-playing games. Um, as a fun Easter egg, the developers included horse poop in some of the stables. Then in early 2000, a new market emerged, and that was paying real-world currency for digital items. For example, a man named John Duggar, a Wonder Bread delivery guy, which didn't even know that was a job, but he spent 750 real-world dollars, which was more than a week's salary, on a digital home in Ultima Online. The real surprise, though, was this horse poop. Because it was a limited resource, it ended up going for thousands of dollars at times and became a sign of prestige among players to own digital horse poop. Welcome to the Living Life Our Way podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you live intentionally. Our goal is to take back control of our lives by living life on our terms. Join us as we work towards living life our way. So what we're going to talk a little bit about today is the horse poop in our lives and specifically how we make mistakes sometimes in how we assign value to different things that are part of our lives. So this story about the horse poop, that is a demonstration of the scarcity principle. And the scarcity principle is simply, as you'd expect from the name, that as things are scarce or are perceived to be scarce, there's a tendency for us to overvalue that item relative to its intrinsic value. Yeah, so taking this as an example, horse poop in the real world doesn't have a lot of inherent value, maybe as a fertilizer, but horse poop in the digital world, really has zero value. Yes, it's just like the poop emoji on your iPhone. It doesn't have any value. It just is a digital image of poop. But we see this all the time, whether it's limited runs of Jordans or designer clothing. The scarcity is what drives the cost up in spite of those things not having any additional utility. Right, and the question that we're talking about here is really... What value does it contribute to our lives? Certainly, as it relates to collectibles, there is a market that exists. So there's there's value in the ability to sell something for a, a higher price because it is scarce. But the question that we're asking is not what is the value in the marketplace, but what is the value that it contributes to our lives? Yeah, so just because something has value doesn't mean that it actually contributes any value to our lives. Right, it doesn't mean that it's going to fulfill us in any way. Exactly. And so the problem is that when we look at our money, our time, our effort, the things that we actually have that we can put towards something, if this scarcity is driving us to spend more money or spend more time acquiring something that we know isn't going to create any additional fulfillment in our lives it really, it creates some problems. Unfortunately, scarcity isn't the only psychological driver that makes us misvalue things. Yes, there's a lot of others that cause us to do some kind of dumb things. Sentimentality is another way that we misattribute value to items. Right, and I'm guilty of this when I receive something for someone from someone else, or if there's an item that ties to a memory or a person, I have a tendency to feel like I am defiling the memory of that person or the memory of that experience if I were to get rid of that that item. Yeah, and there's really kind of different levels of how that is manifest. So kind of a low-tier example might be receiving a gift from a friend. 
because it's come from a friend, you have a really hard time getting rid of it. But ultimately, if it's not providing you any value, you're actually doing your friend a disservice by holding on to things. The The gift wasn't intended to be a burden to you, but you are making it such because you don't want to dishonor or disrespect your friend. Right. And certainly it's natural to think, oh, this was this kind thing that a friend gave me. I should respect them by treasuring it, by holding on to it, by keeping it. But but if the goal is to design your ideal life, and if this is just clutter that's impeding your ability to do so, what friend would want you to keep it? Yeah, there's no question that it it really is a self-imposed burden that no one is expecting you to hold on to. Right. A higher value example of this is uh, wedding china. Uh, my wife and I, like probably a lot of other people, received very kind gifts of china. We thought this was something that we were supposed to get, is a complete set of wedding china that we set aside in the cupboard and keep stored there for special occasions that honestly don't happen all that often. Yeah, my wife and I actually decided not to get wedding china for this exact reason is we know a lot of people who just store their wedding china and maybe get it out once a year, if ever, but it's become this kind of burden that they've taken on. But because it was from their wedding, they want to hold on to it to remember it. And it it's really just an expensive thing that you're holding on to that's not getting any use, but is taking up space. Right. So how exactly anyone in particular balances this is certainly a it's a personal choice different things work for different people absolutely but what we did realize as we've evaluated gratitude is that it's important to think about whether the memory of the person or the memory of the event could be preserved in a better way maybe taking a photo of the item and preserving that but not demanding of ourselves that we keep everything that does have a memory attached to it or that relates to a person simply because of that memory or that person. Well, and it's also important to remember that memories aren't actually attached to items. Correct. They are completely separate, discrete um, experiences that the item can maybe remind you of, but is not necessary to have that memory. You can write it down in a journal, take a picture, and you have the exact same function as holding on to the physical item. Right. And as it relates to the impact that this has in our lives, in the different areas of our lives, we are going to address that in a future podcast. So keep an eye out for that. So another way that this misattributing value is manifest is in us hoarding and specifically holding on to things with the thought that they might have future utility. And it's great to keep things that we are going to be using in the future or that there's some level of probability that we'll be using in the future. Mm -hmm. Where we get into some trouble is when there is a mere possibility that we might use them in the future and suddenly we're stockpiling all sorts of items that chances are we won't use even though there's a possibility we may. Yeah, and a lot of times this is manifest with just filling space. Because the space is there, we hold on to things because they fit in our space, but there's no real reason for those things. The space is just getting filled. Okay, so uh, a confession that that I have a problem with this. I'm not a hoarder per se, but there are certain parts of my 
um, decision-making that are impacted by this. So I counted my short sleeve t-shirts and I found that I have 53 short sleeve t-shirts. And how many of those do you actually wear? Well, I would say probably 12 to 15 are in my normal rotation. They're the shirts I really like. And so those would be the shirts that really contribute value to my life. So what about the other 40 t-shirts? Well, there's some that maybe have some sentimental value again. But what cracked me up was I have a block of t-shirts that I've held on to in case I end up needing to paint or do some other job where I'm going to ruin a t-shirt. Now, I'm guessing that over the last decade, the number of t-shirts that I've actually ruined painting or in some other job would be easily countable on one hand. And so I have three plus decades worth of future painting t-shirts that I have in my, you know, my closet that I'm holding on to. That's an example for me where I've, I've crossed the line a little bit. I have the space, like you said, but those shirts are just clutter. They, they don't serve any purpose. Sure, maybe hold on to a shirt or two, maybe three or four for uh, the eventuality that I'm going to start painting. But uh, to, to dedicate that much space and to keep that many things that don't have any reasonable probability of being usable for me, it's just a bad decision. I'm overvaluing those t-shirts for that use. Yeah, I had a similar experience in high school when I was getting ready to go on my mission. We were cleaning out my room and I had this top shelf in my closet that was quite a bit of space, but was really out of reach for anything else. And so that's where I kept my painting pants and t-shirts. When I went to clean that out and get rid of those things, I had three pairs of pants, five pairs of shorts, and 15 t-shirts that had been there for five years. And I don't know that I've, I'd ever even touched one. I just grab a different shirt and if it got ruined, it got ruined. But t-shirts are so common that it really doesn't matter that much. So holding on to those things, it really is just kind of a waste and there's not a whole lot of value to it. Right. So again, we're not suggesting being wasteful, throwing things away that there's probably going to be a use for in the foreseeable future, but being mindful that holding on to things for the possibility that it might come in handy at some point can create some some problems. So be careful that we don't cross the line into hoarding. All right. Who doesn't love a great deal? One of the things that kind of leads to hoardings is these sales, these bargains, feeling like you're getting a deal. And it's funny how often we say, or we hear other people say, guess how much I saved on X, whatever it might be. And the reality is we don't save money by spending it. But there is this mentality that if we get a really good deal on something, or if it's free, even better, that it somehow has higher value. We have a harder time giving up that item that we got a good deal on. These items we got a great deal on, they become like a trophy, like a, a hunter tracking down his prey and then hanging it on the wall. Right, so these become our mounts, and we have a real tough time giving them up, maybe in part because of the idea that it's something that we can brag about at some point, that we're going to be able to tell the story of this great conquest where we found this amazing deal, and and others will look and say, wow, you know, what, what a great shopper you are, or something like that. 
Yeah, I, I mean, there's a lot of times at dinner parties where you'll hear the conversation just turn into this cycle of, I got a great deal on this, and then the next person has to one-up that with their best deal that they've gotten. When we've been trying to look through the lens of gratitude, it's been kind of amusing to see some of these items that are sticking around only because it was something on which we got a great deal. So that would be something to be mindful of, that we have a tendency to overvalue something if we received it for free or if we got uh, got a great deal on it. So be mindful of that. Yeah, that's a good point as well. It's not just the sales, the things that we get at a discount. It's also the free things that we have to be aware of. How many times have you had someone come over and say, hey, I'm getting rid of these clothes. Do you want to go through them? And you end up leaving with five t-shirts and a couple new pair of pants when you don't actually need any right. more t-shirts or pair of pants. Yeah, the bottom line is that oftentimes the most costly as it relates to materialism, consumerism, the most costly items are free items. Getting a great deal on something or getting it for free does have kind of some trickle-down effects in the form of the endowment effect, which is that we overvalue things that we own. Yes, one of the questions that people often ask as it relates to evaluating the endowment effect is how much would you pay to buy it versus how much would you sell it for? And as it relates to sentimental items or items that have a certain amount of nostalgia for you, it's not a terrible thing that those do carry more value for you Mm -hmm. than they might for others. And that's not really what we're talking about. No, it's the free t-shirt that I pulled out of the thrift store bag that now I want to sell on Poshmark for a profit. Right. One of the great examples of, as we've talked about this is what often happens when you have a garage sale and you put all of the junk out there that you're ready to get rid of and then the haggling starts. Yeah, you don't want this stuff in your house. If if you had, If someone asked you, do you want this in your house? You would say no. It's it's worth $0 to you at this point. Yeah, I mean, getting back to the question, how, what, how much would you pay for it? The answer is, I would pay 0 I don't want it. I don't want it. <laughs> but then someone comes up to you and they're like, hey, would you take $3 less than the listed price? And you say no. I, I, in fact, you might even be offended by that. I mean, here you are offering me $3 less than the bargain price that I'd already marked it at. But there's not a connection to the fact that even though you own this item, it's worth $0 to you. Yeah. And if that person walks away, there's a chance that at the end of the garage sale, you get to put that back in storage or donate it to the thrift store. (laughs) Yes, you'll take it down to the thrift store and get $0 for it. So the endowment effect is is a, a misalignment between what that is contributing to us in real value and what value we're attaching to it if we were to sell it to somebody else. Yeah, and anytime we're making mistakes in attributing value to things or misaligning that value, it really does have some pretty dangerous trickle-down effects to the other areas of our lives. As we consider the different ways that we misalign the value of things with the value that they actually bring to our life, there isn't anything that I can think of that's maybe more dangerous than the sunk cost fallacy. A story that illustrates what the sunk cost fallacy is as it relates to time was told to me by a friend who uh, went with his wife on a honeymoon over to Hawaii. 
And when they were going over there, they were told by a bunch of people that they needed to make sure and go to this particular luau. It was the Hawaiian tradition, and it was supposed to be really the authentic experience over there. Well, they paid a lot for this luau, much more than they felt like they really could afford as newlyweds. So they show up to this luau and immediately can tell that it is going to be a terrible night. The initial entertainment was very hokey, just terrible. The food wasn't any good. And as they looked down the program, they could tell that things weren't going to get much better. So my friend turned to his wife and said, let's get out of here. And she said, and I think a lot of us would sympathize with this, hey, look, we spent so much money on this, we can't walk away. Well, my friend was young, but he was wise for his age. And he said to his wife, hey, look, we already wasted the money. Let's not waste our time. And this is a story that my dad shared with me a long time ago. And I think now my wife would commiserate with the fact that this has kind of become a motto for us is the money is already spent. Right. So the sunk cost fallacy is this idea that once we've invested in something, and it can be money, it can be time, it can be effort, whatever it is. Once we've invested, that we are sort of committed that we need to stick with whatever that is. And that leads us often to overvalue that particular item. Yeah, one of the things that is hard, though, with this is it's hard to know when to say when. So we put time in, we put this effort in, and there's the story of the miner who digs down and gets nothing, gets nothing, gets nothing, and then comes back up and decides to quit. And then the next miner goes down and starts in the same hole, and within three inches, he finds a bed of diamonds so it's it's tough to know when to say when yeah and it's a great example because we have to evaluate what the upside is of continuing you know this isn't a suggestion that as soon as things aren't going maybe the way you want or you're not clear on the value that you jump ship yeah and really being critical and saying what is my upside and if your upside it really isn't anything and you're putting in a lot of time and effort then there's no real reason to continue. And certainly if it's not providing any value, regardless of what you spent to obtain that thing, don't let that be the determinant of whether or not you hold on to it or whether you get rid of it. Yeah, oftentimes this is a particular problem when (laughs) something's expensive or takes a lot of time. Yeah, and in fact, an example that we have is a, a vase that we bought. It's this glass vase. And for us, it was quite expensive. We thought it was beautiful. We kind of got caught up in the moment and we spent a lot more on this vase than we normally would have. Well, we got it home and we displayed it for a while, but over time, we just decided we didn't really like having it out all that much. So we put it in a box and put it in the storage room and there it sat. Numerous times we've thought, let's just take it down to the thrift shop. We don't need it anymore, so let's put it down there. And we've always had a little bit of reluctance to do so because it was expensive. So even though for us it had no more value than a mason jar, we had a tough time giving it up because of how much we had paid for it. So that's the sunk cost fallacy. The money spent... If it's not contributing any value to you anymore in terms of time or storage space, whatever else, it's not worth holding on to. Right. And regardless of how much you spent for it, it doesn't change that equation. If it doesn't give you value now, it's not worth anything to you. So 
don't store it. Yeah. So there you have it. There's six ways that we kind of get our mindset out of whack in terms of how we value things. And we've really enjoyed, again, looking at these things through the lens of gratitude and the idea being what can we genuinely be grateful for? And what we found is that we often are doing a bad job of aligning our perception of the value of those things with the actual value that they contribute to our lives. Yeah, so next week we're going to talk about how these mistakes in valuing things affect different specific areas of our lives. Look forward to seeing you then. Yeah, we'll see you in the next one. If you found value in today's episode, subscribe and leave us a review. It really helps us out.